In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. With your spirit. Happy New Year. I wish to use Paul's words this morning to pray over all of you who have chosen to be here today. What I plan on doing is laying out for you just a, a different direction, not a new direction, just a different direction where I think that we've been, we've been standing, where we've been living. Today is going to be a beginning of a series of talks that I hope will be a reshaping, a type of formation, but definitely a redirecting. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that he may grant you in accord with the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the holy ones what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to accomplish far more than all we ask or imagine by the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations <clears throat> forever and ever. Amen. As we begin this new year, and as I was kind of reflecting, we've, when I first got here as pastor of St. Pius X, we, we used um, that mantra, if you will, of <clears throat> Coach Dave Kitchell, of going back to the basics, to love and care for each other. I really see this as a time as we are still kind of climbing out of a pandemic at a time that none of us saw coming. Some of us still don't understand where we're going, but there is a very real desire for a return to normal or to return to what used to be. And what these talks are meant to do are to challenge us to not be satisfied with that temptation, but to rather for us to move and shift and to go back, far back, into shaping our lives more after the original apostles who Jesus chose, one after the next, by name, for a mission. We need to ask the big questions again. 
Who am, why, why am I here? Why am I here? Why are you here? Where am I going? And how do I get there? So, why am I here? Where am I going? And how do I get there? This is a huge question. And this is kind of where, the, where I think the challenge really starts coming at us as individuals because luckily for me, I can answer each of these questions with some pretty good confidence. But there's a lot of our brothers and sisters, maybe even some of us who are here today, who may struggle to answer that question. Because one thing that I do know, as I have reflected on these three questions, why am I here? The answer to that question continues to grow. And it freaks me out because the answer to that question continues to just get bigger and bigger. It's not getting smaller. It seems like the responsibility to that question that's attached to that question continues to expand the more I really place it under the lens of the Gospels. Where am I going? This is kind of a different question. But that's a question where I have actually, you know, I've, I've, you've heard me preach about this over and over, especially in these last, as we brought this particular uh, last year to a close, liturgical year to a close, as we were talking about this um, apocalyptic kind of visions, where am I going? I hope I'm striving to go to my heavenly homeland. This is, this is a question that literally, if answered in public or in conversation, may still freak people out. But as I was with my family last week, I preached to them for the first time, preached to my family. I don't do that usually. I teach. I preach this time. What I preached was the fact that we're called to be, you know, from I'm kind of recalling my time at La Sagrada Familia in Barcelona, that waking up to the reality that we were, when we were born, we were born into this invisible world and invisible one. And this is the visible one. And each one of us was spoken into this world one time into a particular family. A particular family in which we are called to grow. To grow into an understanding and into a, a relationship with that holy family that exists and continues to be in existence that eternal now that we continue to journey to. And I spoke, I looked at my dad and I said, you know, I said, as dad is beautiful and loving and wonderful as you were, you are still a broken, you are still a broken man still a work in progress. And although you have imaged in, in, in your life little bits 
little by little bit of that of our heavenly father i know that i need to grasp a sense of my sonship with the heavenly father as much as i have grasped the sonship of being the son of gary weeks and then i spoke after visiting my mother who is deteriorating dementia I spoke of my need and our need as a family to sit there and to allow this little dying over a period of time. She dies a little bit each day. That we are called to grow in our relationship of our heavenly mother, our blessed mother, who never dies. And I looked at my brothers and sisters and as much fun as we can have with each other, we can also be destructive to each other. And I recalled how our Lord, the Word made flesh, who dwelt among us, He called us friend, brother, and sister. And He who is Lord and Savior reigns in heaven calling all of us in our brokenness to continue walking towards him, that eternal Savior who came to rescue us and to lead us to our eternal homeland. He gave us access to heaven. In conversation, where am I going? We're always, you know, from time to time, you know, we hear this, you know, when someone passes, my dad's 85, my mom is 84. And I always hear, oh, they're young. You know, like somehow we deserve to make it to our 90s or we make, we, we deserve to get to 100 triple digits. Age means nothing. Age means nothing if it leads to nowhere. So where are we going? And how do we get there? We get there by listening and following and growing in courage to respond to the invitation of Jesus who calls each of us by name, chooses us and says, Pat, come and follow me. Pick up your cross, go where I go. Come and see what I see. Do what I do. We're not engaging a new program. We're re-engaging the original. 
We've been living for decades, really focusing and, and being directed by all sorts of things. And mostly what we're being directed by today are the, is the, political, the political realm and the scientific realm. And we are, we are engaged in, in all of these, these arguments and divisions. And we need to go back to the basics and start building um, a parish, an amazing parish and by building three cultures. We want, to, we want to build a culture of prayer here. Not only here at St. Pius X, but we need to really focus in, and why I've invited you into this, is that this is time for, for us to make sure that you're building a culture of prayer in your homes, in your house, with your family, with the people God has placed in your life. A culture of prayer unapologetic family we are going to pray friends who visit my house we are going to pray we are going to know that god is here emmanuel god is with us we're not hiding our faith any longer we're going to wear it outside openly we're going to build a culture of healthy teamwork and that's what I'm going to focus on next week. But a culture of healthy teamwork, what does that mean? To work as teams, to sit there. Jesus did not send his disciples out alone. He's not asking me to do this alone. He's not asking you to do this alone. He actually wants us to do this together. So we'll get to that next week. And a culture of active discipleship. One where it's not just about what Father Sean is doing or Father Joachim is doing. You know, uh, we got issues. We got issues in our in our neighborhood, Father. You got to get to work, Sister Angelica. What are you and the sisters doing? No, we are called and chosen. Each and every single one of us, and invited into a discipleship. And a discipleship that looks like something. And that's going to be the third Sunday. We're going to really kind of dig into that a little bit. It's not a program. It's all here. The playbook has been in our hands the whole time. We're going to re-engage it in a new way. Maybe having our hearts and our minds blown open to see how this is so very possible. Pope Paul VI has this statement, and this is why I really wanted to engage what we're doing, because it's, we, the world is crying, and what it's crying for is witnesses. It is sitting there and looking at us Christians square in the eyes and sitting there going, prove it. Because we're not proving it. He writes in the evangelization of the modern world, modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers. And if he listens to teachers, it's because they're witnesses. So that convicted me. 
That leads me back to the confessional. That leads me to spiritual direction. That leads me to sitting there and wanting to really dive in and hear God's word and allow myself to be taught and to climb and, and, to, and to strive at being a better witness in this day and age. There's several books that I've been dealing with, and you've heard about them in homilies, and one of them is From Christendom to the Apostolic Mission. It's by Monsignor Shea, but he, he, it's actually he gives the University of Mary the titleship and the, and the authorship of it. Pastoral Strategies for an Apostolic Age, rescued by Father John Ricardo, and I'm currently working through uh, Be Healed by Dr. Bob Schutz. And Monsignor Shea writes, in an apostolic age, influence is exerted less by political arts than by a living witness to the gospel that captures the imagination. The ancient world, which early Christian movement, movement in disdain, was greatly impressed by the courage of the martyrs by the care Christians gave to the poor and the sick, and by the moral probity of the lives of uneducated believers. These witnesses to the faith contributed to the eventual conversion of the culture. Many will be attempting to exercise influence in a Chrysostom mode from the inside and they will find the returns diminishing and the effect increasingly corrupting. That's exactly what I'm hoping to avoid here at St. Pius X. And to avoid that temptation to go back to just functioning as, as St. Pius X in a Christian model. To where it's all about programs and, and the priest doing everything and, and all about, you know, building of community and making a, a place, making a parish, you know, someplace where we can all be comfortable in. A change of attitude is needed. The church in such a time needs to cultivate a spirit that pursues her true vocation heroically and spends less time being concerned with what the wider society thinks. This will allow the kind of witness to the faith that can have a profound influence and can ultimately help to convert the culture. In an apostolic age, the church's most potent and truest witness comes in this fashion. In her communal life, all aspects of which point to the reality of the invisible world. The main evangelistic task in an apostolic age that needs to be directed at many within the church in the presentation of the gospel in such a way that the minds of its hearers can be given the opportunity to be transformed, converted from one way of looking at the world to a different way. That's what I'm calling us to, a different way of looking at our world. We need to make prayer our priority. We need to make going to mass a priority. So as I said, those of you who decided to come in or to live stream in, 
there is a sense that I'm going to be throwing out some challenges. And although I see that those of you who came are the ones that show up every Sunday, there's so many of our brothers and sisters who have gotten to a point where they believe that if they show up once a month, that's good enough. Not for a disciple, it's not. We need to paint a picture as we come together on Sundays to say something different. We need to allow ourselves on Sunday to be fed by God's word, taught, and then after being taught to be fed, to be strengthened and nourished, and after being fed and strengthened and nourished on his body and blood, to be sent, to be witnesses. That has to happen every Sunday, more often if you can. Why? Archbishop Vlasny, when he was here giving his talk on the, the true presence of, of Christ in the Eucharist, he pointed out in one of, of Abbot Jeremy's books, something happens at Mass. He said, something happens at Mass. God is acting. He acts to save us. It is a huge event. In fact, there is nothing bigger. God has concentrated the entirety of his saving love for the world into the ritual action and words of the Eucharistic liturgy. Archbishop Vlasny would say the one thing, one thing that makes us different than other believing Christian communities is the Eucharist. They all read from the Bible. Most of them have a preacher. They have good music. But here in Mass, bread and wine, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are made the true presence of body and blood of our Lord to feed us. That's, our, that, that's what we get. And it's not just a gift to be received and to relax with. It's a feeding for a mission. I believe that we need as a community to move from a wanting to build community, thinking that they will come to worship later, to gathering to pray with and for each other, for our world, and a community will arise. We truly need, you know, that's one of my biggest, um, I would say, pieces of advice that I receive from parishioners here at St. Pius all the time. Father, we need to get back to building community. Well, if we watch Christ in the apostolic days as he's, as he's, you know, calling his disciples, he didn't just come and build a church. He didn't ask them to build a building, have a place where we can hang out. We can laugh, drink wine together, and have some fun. He was on the move. He had something to build. He wanted them to join him in that building. 
So I want us to move away from that temptation of sitting there wanting to throw big events and parties so that we can enjoy each other to grasping and understanding that no, we need to go, we need to be, we need to be engaging, we need to be what we need, we need to be those witnesses. And if we become witnesses together and we pray together and we, we, we come here on Sunday, the most important thing that the church provides is not community. It's the sacramental life that Jesus gave to us. It's his divine life that he wants that to be lived for what? For our comfort and sense of security? No. For his mission. For everything that we see in this world that's missing, it's because we've stopped doing what we're supposed to do. It's, we, we got to quit blaming and pointing fingers. And it's not my fault. Partly my fault for when I've failed to act or I've acted wrongly. But the liveliness of this church, it is amazing how many people say, you know what, Father, you need to do? Actually, I do. These three weekends are me turning around that mirror so that you can start realizing what you need to be doing. This will be one of the first times I've ever preached a little bit at you. But I will be coach. Father Ricardo, he's got this great way of putting kind of where we've become and where we stand today. And we're not alone. And yet today, all too often, the way we talk about Jesus provokes little wonder and amazement. Peter Kreft, philosophy professor at Boston College, said that we, as Christians, have tragically managed to undo the miracle of Cana. Remember that miracle? When Jesus turned 180 gallons of water into wine, Kreft says that contemporary Christians have turned the wine back into water. We have somehow managed to turn the only person who never bored anybody into someone boring. Frank Sheed, an English apologist in this last century, remarked once that people who follow Jesus, prostitutes, tax collectors, and other sinners were people who were easily bored who thought life was about sex, money, or simply living for themselves until they met Jesus. When they encountered him, they abandoned their pursuit of pleasure, wealth, and selfishness. They came to understand that a truly rich life was one that revolved around him. In short, when contemporaries of Jesus met him, they had one of two radical responses. They either dropped everything and followed him, or they demanded, kill him. No one ever yawned, shrugged, and said, meh, nothing to see here. 
The constant response to the crowds was shock and awe. So what we're doing in this movement is to build the three cultures of prayer, healthy teamwork, and active discipleship. And we're building that off of how Jesus Christ himself evangelized the world. We are, we are engaging in that mission where Jesus himself is the center and he picks his, his leadership team of Peter, James, and John. And he gets them all ready. And then from there, he, has, he picks the other disciples. And he gets them trained up. And as he gets them trained up, he sends them out on mission. And that mission ultimately will reach all the corners of the whole world. Everybody has at least heard of the name, the holy name of Jesus. So here in the parish, there is, I am at the center as the pastor. I am, I know, and it's a big, it's a big role. And I've developed a parish leadership team. And we've been working together for the last year and a half. The parish leadership team here is made up of Michelle, our business manager, Joanne, our principal, Nikki, my administrative assistant, and Sean Baba. We've been working on building a, prayer, a culture of prayer in our own lives. We've been working on becoming a healthier team and we have been engaging in active discipleship. And then we went on to the staff, the rest of the staff. And we started developing that culture of prayer. We started realizing that, you know, that, that I needed to be really in touch with all of my team members. We, we included all the teachers in the school. And now that we've been working on that for a year, now is the time for us to unleash the next bit, which is the invitation to invite the whole parish. The whole parish to build these three cultures. Sometimes we make the mistake that we need to start by trying to fix the world first. We can't fix anything. As long as we're not just truly allowing Christ to be at the center of our prayer lives, where we're working as a healthy team, and then we're engaging in discipleship, intentional discipleship, in the way that Jesus Christ himself trained them. So it's not a program, it's the Gospels. And it's good news. And I will argue it is still good news. And if you think you know it already and you haven't engaged the mission, then you haven't read it properly.
So we're going to build a culture of prayer. And I do challenge all of you to, to make Mass a priority, but to also make daily prayer, intentional daily prayer as individuals and as families, something that you begin this Advent season. That you really make space for Christ in your home. Let it be felt. Let it make some people uncomfortable. It's okay. Let's be different. One of the things we do around the holidays is we kind of we go after those small T traditions. If the small T traditions aren't helping us grow in a faith, in a real prayer life with God, let's change it up. Let's do it differently. But before we go and we start heading into building a culture of healthy teamwork, this is what I'd really like you to pray for. Because when I talk about mission, I am not talking about the responsibility of St. Pius X or you as an individual to evangelize and to convert the whole zip code of 97229. It's not what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask that we just basically engage the mission as Jesus himself did with his other disciples. I want you to pray. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit who's the one person where you think the Holy Spirit would place on your heart? that he'd like you to focus on down the road? Who do you think the Holy Spirit is going to ask you to accompany? To whom will Jesus send you? Who is he sending you to? There are so many people who have lost a sense that the gospel of Jesus Christ is extraordinary good news. So I want you to pray about that. He'll, put, he'll bring a face to your mind and bring that person into your prayer or that family, whoever it is. Who's the project that Jesus is going to send you to? And pray. Pray that God will show you the way. That he will be the architect of the encounter. And pray that you will have the courage. You and whoever he teams you up with. To answer the call. I have no idea what this project might do for us. But even if some of the people that God places on your heart grow in a desire to know him, you will be giving the greatest gift 
to be given in this world to another brother or sister. That's what I'm inviting you into. Please pray for me, my team, my staff. Please pray for us that we may we may be good witnesses to this amazingly good news that our world is crying, crying to receive again because it's lost it.